Okay, we're ready for the sermon this morning. Thankful for you all that came, <laughs> and that's good too. Um, sometimes when there's a few, we get uh, blessings as well, and we never know if that's the time when the visitors are going to show, and uh, we wouldn't want to miss any visitors. So today the sermon is on uh, these three you know where that's found in the Bible? <laughs> that's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. These three set you free, we might say, as a title. These three set you free. And uh, when you read through that chapter, and then get the con conclusion and the punchline there in verse 13, uh, it's very meaningful to uh, know these three will set you free, or it sets you free, sets you free. Uh, memorizing this as a child, it comes back very readily to me. So uh, yeah, we had to memorize that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then this is the 13th verse. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. So obviously I'm going to talk about these three, <laughs> these three. And that's what it says in the next words in that verse. These three, but the, the greatest of these is charity, which is interpreted also as love. The Greek has three words for the word love, or one word that can be interpreted three ways. But English, we're missing that extra verses, extra words. So, but these three, but these are the greatest of these three, of these is charity or love. So let's uh, go into the, uh, this, looking at this part of the text and, and uh, other verses that came to mind as I was studying this. I do need this a little different. Uh, yeah, if I push that over far enough. Uh, faith. First thing we could talk about on faith is that we need faith that is daring, a daring type of faith. And uh, we could look in the words that some have said, dare to be a Daniel, dare to be a David, dare to be a, uh, somebody like Joshua, uh, those that went into the land to spy out the land, to dare to go there, to be faithful. So faith that dares Jesus said to people, O ye of little faith, and he was talking to the believers, talking to those that were uh, Old Testament people at his time, uh, and they were not as faithful as they should have been. That would have been great if he could have said, but sometimes he, he would say, your faith is greater than this. Oh, this faith is greater than, I haven't seen this in Israel. And that's a shame on you type first. <laughs> we should all be faithful, and more so. But many believers are lacking in faith that dares. Uh, their faith is complacent. That's a heavy word, isn't it? Inactive. And it fails to accomplish things. It's a faith that doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do much. They say, I believe. But they don't really do much. That's that's sad. 
because when you run into them, you think, well, uh, we sure can help them. We, uh, it's not always a band thing that says that uh, when a question pops up, they'll say, uh, I know how to handle that, or I know what we could do. <laughs> uh, but that the biggest thing is read the scriptures. Build up their faith, build up their stories of the Bible that show faith, and then they'll grow in faith. There's, uh, uh, in looking at that, I want to get down to a couple things here in faith that dares to be active. That we need to be an active faith that, that does something, moves things, does things, uh, that we could teach from the scriptures the type of faith that was shown there, uh, especially verses like faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone, being alone. Uh, you look at the margin there on being alone, and uh, that helps to explain it as well. I'm taking a chance on my glasses not being as clean as they should be, because I am having some difficulties. Okay. Uh, in this sermon, I wanted to get to uh, James chapter 2. And I thought, well, should I read just one verse? So let me get the uh, computer popped up here, and maybe I can get both working the regular Bible and the uh, and the notes that I have beside me and try to run three in case something happens. <laughs> so uh, in James chapter 2, we could say we're going to start with verse 17. That's a good place probably. And I, I got it up here on the computer. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Okay, we said that already. Next verse. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Works with an S. Show me thy faith, and I will show you... Well, no, I missed a couple of words. Show me your faith without thy works. Uh-huh. That's difficult to do. So that's a valid question. You don't have anything to show me. But how are you going to explain your faith then? How do you show something? But you don't want to show because you don't want any words. So the next words say, show me thy faith without thy works and, and oh, I know what's up here. I'm missing the last word of the sentence. Uh, show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. So that's what we need to zoom in on, on thinking. If, if if the guy says he's an electrician, but he doesn't have any electrician tools, it's meaningless, isn't it? He says he's, he knows the knowledge, but doesn't do anything with it. Um, and that's the same thing with, with our spiritual life. If we don't know the scriptures, we don't read the scriptures, don't uh, relate the scriptures to other people, um, our faith is minimal or, or useless. So verse uh, 19, Thou believest there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. Boy, that's a punchline. Because remember when the uh, when Jesus would go to people that needed help, and the devil was there, and devils, or there, demons, if you wanted to call them that, and they even challenged Jesus, are you come before the time to do his harm? 
And uh, they knew him. They knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was and what his power was. And they didn't like the possibility of getting too close to this power. Okay. So uh, they could tell by his works that he had power. So that's verse 19. Verse 20 says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? I'm going to stop there for sure because there's a, well, there go one more verse maybe, but I'll hold it. Um, the, the Israelite people at the time of Jesus, they could look back at Abraham and say, yep, I know the story. He uh, did this and this, and he took the child. He was going to give the child as God had said. And uh, in doing that, in his mind, he had to think, now let's see, this is the child of promise. If he dies, how is there another child of promise? Do we have to go back and start over? Have another baby boy, raise him up? For so many years before he can be 17 or so, which he was in this case, uh, before we start these family lines and, and the, all these children of Israel and the multitudes of people that God had promised, we're going to start all over. That could have been going through Abraham's mind. Okay, if this child dies, why, God, did you start this whole process? What's your new plan? Well, he had to trust God. He had to go step by step by step until. Finally, God stopped him, and uh, a voice talked with him and said, there's an offering here in cotton in the brush. I want you to use that one. Wow, because that was a picture of what God was going through. God was going to send his son to die for us, and there's no way out of it. The son was going to have to die. So this is action made a difference. He was not just a hearer of the word of, from the Heavenly Father and, and acting uh, basic things, but he was active. He was there. He, took, he walked up the hill. He built the altar. He got the wind arranged. He was an act of faith. God spared that situation from going too far. And uh, the boy was the child of promise. So they are reminded in this, in this James statement but don't you remember? Do you remember the story of Abraham? Okay, well, let's go a little further. We have to read the Bible to know that. <laughs> okay, the next verse. Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Aha! Uh -huh. The story had to go all the way through, and then it was deemed as being perfect. But it was works that showed the way it was going. Okay, what's the next verse? Move up a little bit here. Verse 20, 24. But seeing then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only, you need both. Likewise also, up here a little bit again. Uh, verse 26, no, uh, 25. I, I, some, okay, I'm trying not to talk against the computer. 
I have fun with it. Uh, not so. Verse 25. Likewise also not Rahab the harlot justified. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Ah, uh, wait a minute. Gotta think about that story. When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. And it just sort of drops the story there and ends the chapter with, for as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Going back to a body, uh, you can have a dead body, somebody lay down, die, and you start, you, you wait till you're sure he's dead, I guess, and then you start pumping him full of air, air hose or something. Is he gonna come back to life? No, because it needed the breath of life from the Heavenly Father to put life into the human body. So that's a little disconnected from Rahab. Well, first we had uh, the faith by walk and by doing from Abraham, and now Rahab is in here. What did she do? Said she received, she was a harlot. She wasn't even worthy of, of the salvation, but she was gonna do something with the faith that she understood. She knew about so far. And then she did something. She received the uh, the messengers. Well, actually, these were not, as you would say, a, a goodwill messenger. They were spies that she was inviting in. But so you think, well, well, what really is going on here? I want to go to uh, uh, Joshua chapter 2, because you want 2 and 6. But let's go to two, chapter 2 and chapter 6. Of course, I'm not going to read two, two, two full chapters. But I want to go to... Uh, uh, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Okay, so I can tell a little of the story that was going on. Uh, it seems like she was not doing anything spiritual by her lifestyle. And she had family and, and uh, children as well as uh, relatives, her parents and so on. And evidently there was not much going on. But what happens in that first chapter two, and you start reading about her, they had heard, uh, in verse 10 it says, we have heard, she's talking to the spies, and they're kind of wondering, why are you protecting us? Why are you gonna spare us from your own countrymen, your own city uh, government? You're gonna spare us from telling on us, and we're gonna make an agreement. You're gonna spare us from being caught and hide us. You're gonna let us out through, uh, well, she was hidden in the coverings for the roof. She hid them in the covering so they wouldn't be seen. And then once the people had left her home, she got them down out of there, and they had a discussion, made a vow to each other, and she put them down on a ribbon, and he said, well, run this ribbon in the window when we come back. We will see that, and we'll spare your family. Um, some vowing to each other that they would not tell on each other or they won't um, damage each other. But she said, we have heard how the Lord, your Lord really, dried up the water, the Red Sea for you, and you come out of Egypt, and you, and you fought off these two kings that are there, and then it goes on, uh, but they had gone to the east side of the Jordan River, and now they were coming back across the Jordan. They knew about it, because they crossed right at the city of, uh, the, of the city, uh, 
Jericho is. They crossed the Jordan River to and right next to the city of Jericho. And they all knew what was going to happen. Now when the spies went in, they were sent in by Joshua. Um, they were looking to see whether the city was built strong or had a uh, strong protection of some kind or other besides having military there and defense, weapons and so on. Um, they weren't going to do any damage right then. They were just fine. And, uh, but they had heard all of this. So that's why the king was after the spies. And when she told them, well, they, they've already left. They were going to go back. And said, okay, but if you hurry, you would probably catch them on the way back. So, so they went out and they started trying to find them. Well, actually she told the spies to go to the mountains, stay there three days and then come back out of the mountains and all of the search will be over with. So she was sparing those spies, which was gonna go well for her because that's what the agreement was, the vow to each other. And then when you go down to verse six is when the attack begins uh, on the city of Jericho. And uh, Joshua said to her in verse, uh, well, not to her, but she is recalled in uh, 22, 23, and 25, 24, 25. Uh, you want to read that section for sure. What, what was happening with her? Well, Joshua said, you go, you've told me about this woman that protected you. You go and get her out and all the family. That's your job. The two spies were supposed to do that. And he saved Rahab, the harlot, alive. Then you notice, if you read a little bit both sides of this, it's, she was not allowed to go right into the children of Israel camp. She was not allowed to go into the whole thing. Uh, they had to wait outside. Why? Well, first off, she was uh, not a Hebrew person. She was not converted. She was not saved. But she was believing in the same God. And there was, uh, there was a place, if that's a good word, for accepting people from outside into the family of God and making them full citizens of the family of God. So they do that first for her. There's nothing else said that she ever uh, lost that, that blessing. She was protected and her relatives and so on. It names how many different relatives, the father and mother and, and uh, other children and so on. Everything that she had that they could get out, they got out and took it over to the camp of Israel. Wow. Now, you have to back up and think, what's this to do with faith? First off, when she heard about this God that was so powerful that he could open the rivers, open the waterway, and the huge waterway that they crossed through, and this little river, Jordan, but it was at overflow time, so there's plenty of water, built this wall on both sides, and the people came through on dry ground both times. Wow, what a God you guys serve. And you conquered this country, and you conquered that country, You've got so many blessings. You've got your your uh, camp is full of animals and livelihood. It's all really good. God's going to give you all this land. I'm believing all of that. I'd like to join you. Then what did she do? She spared the spies. They spared her and got her out of there, got her into their camp. Why wouldn't she continue to live with them, to accept their way of doing things and, and learn about the Heavenly Father? It would be a natural. So action made it worthwhile for her, a blessing for her. Okay, the next thing in that list of three is hope. We need hope that cares. If she didn't care, she was hoping I could get over there to the other side where the blessings are. You know, if I could just get with them, I'll, I'll receive their blessings, I'll live in, in a blessed situation. And uh, 
we can be thinking the same way. Oh, if I could just get over the other side, or uh, some say, if I could just be a doorkeeper. No, you're either in or you're out. <laughs> if I could just be, no, you're either in or out. You either get all of the blessings and all of the access to everything. There's, there's no categories of who got into God's blessings. Um, it's just going to be very different to, to be in and be a child. Actually, when you get adopted, you have full rights. You have an inheritance and so on. You're a child of God. You've been adopted. Yes, you're a child of God. So we have first a hope that all of that is true. Well, that's mentioned even with the, uh, Paul and Silas and some of the others. Why, why are you doing this? Because we have a hope of the future, hope of eternal life. I want to look to uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, just want to see where... Uh, Maybe you have to go here, but be easy. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Oh, here we get you. Okay, let's go to Mark. I wrote these three down because I sure didn't want to lose them. And uh, Mark 10, verse 21. Sometimes you run across a really good verse and you just want to hang on it. <laughs> oh, I know now what it's all about. Just in, just in one word, he gave it away. In Mark 10 and verse 21, uh, Jesus is talking and uh, says, Then Jesus, uh, beholding him, loved him. Jesus was, and then it starts in red letters, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. So the man came and was asking questions. What, what, what more should I do? And he talks about the Ten Commandments. Great thoughts are on here. And then he said, well, what else should I do? And Jesus said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Just one thing. And you're in. That's the way I look at it. One more thing. I've done all those other things. Just one thing more that's going to give action. What is it? Go and sell what thou, whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. One thing keeps him from tremendous blessings, tremendous future. All you have to do is get rid of your things that are dragging you down. You have... Uh, accumulated this, and you've accumulated that, you've got real estate, you've got a bank account, you've got gadgets galore. And the scripture says they're all going to vanish away. But this guy had all these things, and Jesus said, if you just get rid of the hindrance, get rid of all these things that are holding you back, and carry on, one was to give to the poor. Have care for the poor. Care for the other misfortune misfortunate people and uh, sell that and come and join. Uh, in Luke 12, 21 is another one that's similar. So we want to see what, what that one says. Luke 12. And 
verse 21. 1221. And so he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Aha. Uh -huh. We don't care for these other things. We're not rich towards God. We don't give to the God's cause or to win souls. And so the whole thing is we're laying up treasures. You might want to back up and read uh, up to verse 13 and down to here. What was it? Yeah. He was rich. He had plenty. He was buying things and storing things. And he said, all you have to do now is to don't lay up your treasures on earth. It's not going to be any good. You need to be rich towards God. And another one is, uh, I guess I just wrote that twice. It's not treasures. It's not the treasures that we're all about. But it's where it's stored. If we're going to be storing it with the Heavenly Father and giving to God's cause and winning souls, um, because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, I've got that here too. I know I do that one. First, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there is prophecy, okay, you can say, okay, I'm a prophet, and we're going to say, okay, we're going to have prophecy in our church. This is going to be a big deal. Whether there is tongues, oh, some want to have different languages, different countries, and so on, they shall cease. So your prophecies are going to fail. Your tongues are going to cease. Whether there be knowledge, oh, if you just had all kinds of knowledge, teach everybody Hebrew, teach them Greek, teach them all these customs, teach them the Bible as well, I suppose, in most cases. We'd have all this knowledge and we could just draw people in and it shall fail. These things is not what it's all about. What's that chapter about? It's about love. If you don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have charity, and you don't have the love that you should have, the faith, faith that cares, um, that's what it's really all about. So society's uh, things are not going to help, they're just going to be a sideline, they're going to be uh, um, self-centered type of hope. And it's not going to help us. It's not the thing that we need. So those things will fail. We must have hope that uh, involves the less fortunate, the elderly, the homeless, the uh, helpless, those that are needing, needing help. The uh, hope is built on Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and it'll endure forever. So those are the things that we really look to for our uh, things that won't vanish away, won't disappear on us. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, it talks about an anchor that's steadfast and sure. The hope 
we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure, steady, standing, and steadfast. It's not going to move, not going to fail you. That's the anchor for the soul is Jesus Christ and the teachings of the scripture. So a little bit further in uh, saying those three, love that shares, because it says charity loveth in that chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it talks about charity. And we, those, that's part of the ones that are going to uh, abide, now abide with faith, hope, and charity. Yes, that's those. Many, are, uh, many believers are selfish. Well, uh, today in Sabbath school, uh, why would I go out and tell somebody about Jesus and win them for the Lord? If we don't, it means that we hate our brother. We don't want him to get salvation. We want, don't want him to find the truths of the Bible. Uh, we don't want to tell them that they have to read or buy them a Bible or, you know, you can go on and on. The other way is the correct way. We're going to share a Bible with them. We're going to share our time to study the Bible with them. We're going to invite them and try to fetch them to Bible study time as well as for Sabbath school time and sermon time. God shared his love when he gave Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God shared. And that was a tremendous sharing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a real love. And Jesus, of course, was in the middle of all of that, but he gave his life. He was willing to come from glory to here and die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sins, for our inabilities to do what we should do. We must proceed and possess a love that shares. Give, give away your love. I should have hunted that verse, but freely you've received, freely give. What we've received, we give away. And we are blessed by it. We gain more. We grow more. Uh, our love must be ready to give a lift to those who are homeless, hungry, and discouraged. I wanted to find this one. Let's try First John. I know this one. I was reading and read about the, uh, the guy that came to the door and asked for food. And I think I've got that in here yet. Uh, that may be my last verses. Yeah, I'm not finding it exactly where I think I've got it. Okay, let's, let's go on. I've, I've probably, yeah, I probably mislaid that one, where the, uh, the neighbor came and asked for food. And uh, the man wasn't going to give it to him. Wow, isn't that funny? I can remember that just so plain. Uh, 
Uh, yep, yep, okay. Left side of the page, outside column, halfway down the page. <laughs> oh, human mind, we are all uniquely made. Okay, it's in Luke chapter 11. You want to start down about verse 5. Let's start at verse 5. There's a Jesus talking here. This is in the red letters. Uh, which of you shall have a uh, friend and shall go unto him at midnight? Okay, we're setting the stage here. What's going on? When you go, go to him at midnight, Jesus is saying, think this thing over. Which of you have a friend that's so good that you could go to him at midnight and wake him up? And say unto him, friend, must be a friend, but you don't call him that. Lend me three loaves of bread. Lend me three loaves. And here's why I'm asking. For a friend of mine in his travel is coming to me and I have nothing to set before him. This is a sad situation though. So he's coming with an honest request. I didn't plan this. Uh, I have sufficient to have built this if I had time and knowledge ahead of time. Uh, but here I am, I'm stuck. This friend came in and asked for, for, for food. Verse seven. And he from within answered and said, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are in bed with me, uh, I shall, and I cannot rise and give thee. That's a bellyache, a complaint. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, and I, I had to go back over it again. Don't trouble me. Uh, the door is shut. Well, you can unlock it or unbolt it, whatever you had to close that door. You can get out. And the children are in bed. Well, they might have all laid on the same pallets on the floor or uh, some awful the floor arrangement. If he got out of bed, yeah, he would have jiggled the thing and he would have made noise getting to the door and made noise uh, opening the door. And the other children will wake up. You know, all of that can be handled. They can go back to sleep. It won't be a problem. I can give you the loaves. And then I can't rise. Oh, yeah, you're lazy. You're yellow. Yellow belly. Don't want to do it. Just... And I, he should, should have said, I, I can get up. You know, I'll go back to sleep. And what's three loaves? I, I got it. Should give it. In fact, there's another place that says when you, when you have a request, you should open your hand wide. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here he says, Jesus is talking and explaining that. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give, that's, he just doesn't want to do this. Um, give him because he is his friend all of a sudden the, the gears the man in the bed starts thinking 
He is my friend. I owe him to be a friend to him. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So he says, okay, this is my friend. He doesn't come around like this all the time. I'm, I'm going to take care of him. And uh, I need to get up. I need to just do this. So he got up and he gave him as many as he needed, not just three. He asked for three, give him four, give him five, give him what he needs. And, uh, and then he'll be happy and both of us will be blessed by living next door to each other. And I say unto you, ask and ye shall receive. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now this verse appears to be tacked onto the story. So what we need to do is to think about the story. How did this play out in real life? And what does this verse mean to us? When we're dealing with the Heavenly Father, we're dealing with Jesus Christ. He says, ask. There's no problem with asking. But you shall receive. It shall be given to you. Seek. Go to that neighbor's door and ask. Knock on the door and ask. But seek. Look in the scriptures. Find out these stories. Seek and ye shall find the answers to life. Knock on that door. Jesus said, I'm at the door and I'm, you know, I'm knocking. Let me in. We need to go and open that door and get Jesus into our hearts. Okay? For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. We need to do these things. We need a, a faith that is action. It's going to do something. It's going, going to work. And then share with the same blessings. Okay, let's go on. I'll leave that one for you to go on and read a little more about that bread. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, it, it's so nice. Let, let me do verse 11 and 12 and 13, just out of my mind, out of my head. <laughs> uh, Jesus is asking him, if your son came to you, a man, father, mother as well. If your son came and said, I need to, I need some bread to eat, would you give him a stone? No. If he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No, you don't. Because you're a good parent. Well, isn't our Heavenly Father a good parent? If you ask Heavenly Father, is he not going to give you the very best? Ask for the Holy Spirit. Wow. If we think about that, some of us are kind of nervous about asking for things that maybe don't belong to us, but that's what that verse says. Ask for the Holy Spirit, and he'll give it to you. You don't have to learn Hebrew. You don't, you don't have to learn some other language. You don't have to act peculiar. But you ask God, and he will give you those powers that are necessary and will help our spiritual life blossom to the point where we can know of our salvation and act in our salvation. Last one I had here was in John, 1 John chapter 4. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. I'm glad I could bring that back, the verse that we just talked about. That fits very good on, on action. John chapter 4. We'll start with verse 7. 6 seems to belong to it, and uh, 6 and 7. But uh, 
maybe go ahead and read six because this is a blessing. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. John is talking here. One of the disciples. And he says, we know God. We can tell you about him. Hear us. He that is not of God heareth not us. The people that don't want to be a Christian are not a Christian. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to understand it. They just go away. We that want to be a Christian, want to be saved, we need to read these. Okay? So what comes right after this? There is 28 times in verses 7 to 21. It tells of God's love. It tells of love, loveth, and be loved. Beloved. That's all in these verses. We need this kind of support and help. I go through it fairly quickly, but uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. This is fulfilling these things. Charity, we would say in that verse I just read uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But charity. Uh, and everyone that loveth is of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If you don't love, it's an obvious, it's a test. Check this off. Is this true or false or, you know, or other? You can, you can read this verse or these verses and find out if you're a Christian. Did you make it? Are you in? He that loveth is of God. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Live, have life eternal, eternal life. Yes, that we can live through Jesus Christ. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Right. Nothing that we did to, to get God to think on us. He just did because he's love. And sent his son into the, to be the perpetuation for our sins. That's the forgiveness and the uh, passing away, cleaning up of the sins. Be, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another and the people around us, right? Show love and respect for them. No man hath seen God at any time. Well, some people, yes, they did. They claimed. They were talking about the Son of God, not the not Heavenly Father himself. That's, that's a fact. That's in the Scriptures. No man has seen God at any time. It's right here. Uh, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, if, or and, he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And ask for the spirit, that's what we read today. Ask for, for the Holy Spirit, and he'll give it to us. And how, then we go back to this verse and say, how do you know that he dwells in you? Because the spirit's in you. You know, back and forth, answer and answers. Uh, we, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Well, that's John for sure. 
But once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you'll be able to say that too. We've seen, we understand. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, dwelleth in him and he in God. Back and forth. If you know it's true and you confess it to other people, um, that's a true statement, then you are in God, you're saved. That's what it would be saying you know, in our words. And we have shown and believe the love of God hath uh, to us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in us, in God, and God in, us, in him. The, the two-way again in there, it's a little bit different, difficult reading there. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Wow, you can have boldness. He'd be able to say, walk up, I've got my ticket. Right? I've got eternal life. I'm going to get in because I know God and because he knows me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and he that, fe that feareth is not made perfect in love. Well, that's a pretty strong one. But it also helps you to know that you are loved, you are in Christ, you don't have to worry about the end coming and what am I going to say to God when this happens. Fear's got torment. We don't have to have that because we're ready to meet our Lord. We love him because he first loved us. That's very true. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, oh boy, he is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It doesn't make sense. You know, God has got this written out just point blank and straight and clear and just uh, take it in. It's right. And this commandment we have from him, from the Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, that he that loveth God loveth his brother also. That's amazing text and great blessing to us to have that security in our minds. May God bless you.